Well, let's dig into the word this beautiful Resurrection Sunday, and we, we kind of introduced uh, the word rebuild last uh, time we were together on Good Friday, and we were speaking about the fact that God is building his kingdom, and so to do that, he's got to build our lives, and sometimes he's rebuilding our lives in areas they've been broken. You see, when you walk in the revelation of Jesus and who Jesus is, he can reveal to you who you really are, and that's how transformation actually takes place. But you know, all of us experience anxiety and stress and discouragement in our lives. It's just part of the human experience because we live in a fallen world and because Satan is real and the enemy does not want you to find the fullness of who you are in Christ. And I think some people right now during this time, their feelings have really been difficult and it's been a real struggle in the past recent months to keep moving forward. But how you know there's always good news when it comes to Jesus Christ because when we build our lives in Christ, we'll experience real peace and God will be able to continue to rebuild our lives. So let's jump into Joel 2 again. We, we read verse 18, but let's read that again with verse 19 this time. It says, Then the Lord will be zealous or passionate for his land, that, that represents the church, and he will have pity or compassion on his people. So look what he does in verse 19. The Lord will answer, his, uh, the Lord will answer and say to his people, Behold, I will send you grain, and new wine and oil, and you will be satisfied by them. I will no longer make you a reproach among the nations. So just as any true prophet of God, Joel didn't stop at the prediction of judgment and the upcoming doomsday. He clearly announces and brings hope as he declares the day of God's grace and a day of God's victory. And we're living in that dispensation right now. The, the end times, as we call it, is a dispensation of God's grace. And as we serve God, we can and should live and walk in victory. You know, another great prophet in the, in the New Testament, in the Gospels, uh, John the Baptist, in verse 29, it says this, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So we see that John was able to see, which speaks about prophetic vision, he was able to see who Jesus really was. He was convinced and he believed that Jesus was the Son of God. And so guess what? He declared the word of God accordingly. And that's what we want to look at today as we, as we talk about rebuilding. We've got to build our lives, and literally, we build up our lives by believing what God says. We saw that on Friday, by renewing our minds. But we've got to take it a step further. We've got to start declaring His Word into our lives, and we need to speak to the mountains in our lives. And so let's have a look at a scripture here because these verses in the book of Joel speak to you and I clearly about God's provision which brings true satisfaction into our lives. 
And so, firstly, there's a bit of symbolism here because he speaks about the grain, he speaks about the new wine, and he speaks about the oil that will produce satisfaction. Now, these three elements, firstly, in the Old Testament, represent three very significant things. Number one, they represented a covenant relationship and the blessing of God in our lives as a result. That's in Deuteronomy 7 verse 13, the reference. Secondly, they represented the ability for us to honor God by bringing our tithes and our offerings. Isn't that incredible? And that's found in Deuteronomy 14 verses 22 to 23. And then thirdly, it speaks about restoration in our lives on a national level, bringing safety and God's provision. And that is found right here in Joel chapter 2, verse 24. And we're going to read that in a couple of moments. But ultimately, these three things actually speak about and prophetically proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ who is our Savior and the author of the new covenant. Firstly, the grain speaks about Christ's body, which was broken for us, and it represented in the communion as the bread. Secondly, the wine represents Christ's blood that was shed for you and I. Again, we partake of that symbolically in the communion, the, the, the wine which represents the blood of Christ, which is the blood in the new covenant. And thirdly, we see the oil here actually represents the Holy Spirit, the anointing of God, which empowers us in our lives to live the Christian life. You see, this is how we build our lives. And when we build our lives on the word, when we speak the word, it's the true way for you and I to find satisfaction in our daily living. I want you to know more and more people today, whether they recognize it or want to admit it or don't want to admit it, they're looking for satisfaction. And you know, you can search in all the natural things. You can buy stuff. You can go from one relationship to another. You can, you can try works. You can get involved in the church. But at the end of the day, the only thing that really satisfies is the Word of God and the life of Christ. And when you understand that and you build that into your life, you know the other things are fantastic and God's put them there for us to enjoy, but they are the result of and not the reason for. And so let's have a look at something very powerful here in Second Peter chapter 1. And, and we want to read from verses 1 to 5 just to, to lay down the foundation and the context. Simon Peter, a bond servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of God and Savior Jesus Christ. Look at this. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. We looked at that in earlier teachings uh, in the subject of restore. And in verse 3 it says, As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, verse 4, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these we may be partakers of his divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now look at verse 5. 
but also for this very reason. For what reason? For the reason he's just listed in verses 1 to 4, what are they? The exceeding precious promises of God. The fact that God's grace and and God's peace has been multiplied in our lives. The fact that God is working and building our lives in Christ. He says, for that reason, in verse 5, give all diligence to add to your faith virtue. To add to your virtue knowledge. And he goes on for the next few verses and he recounts things that we need to add, or we could say it like this, things we need to build into our lives that will help us to be strong as individuals. But notice verse 5 says this, give diligence to adding these things. Give diligence to building these things into your life. And so like I said earlier, how do we build these things into our lives? Well, we sow the word of God into our lives, but then we've got to take it a step further. We've got to act on that word by speaking it, declaring it, and doing it. And so here in Mark 11 and verses 23, we see Jesus explaining this and giving the the, the disciples actually a demonstration of how to live this. In verse 23, he says, For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. When Jesus said this and said that we are to speak to the mountains in our lives, commanding them to be lifted up and thrown into the sea, he was making an incredibly radical statement. And it's life-changing if you can grasp this today. Because he also taught us in another place in the Gospels that it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. So what you and I say consistently with our mouths is an expression of what we've been hiding in our hearts. And so David understood this. In Psalm 119, do you remember he says this? He makes this declaration. He says, Lord, your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. In another place, he said it like this. Also in Psalm 119, he said, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And so we start to see a principle here. You see, usually people talk about their mountains. They talk about their hurts. They talk about their challenges. But God's word instructs us to not talk about them, but to talk to them. We need to speak to them and declare the word to them. When we begin to do this, it may seem silly. It may even seem insignificant to the natural mind. And it might even seem like nothing is happening. But if we continue to respond to our mountains, to our circumstances, to the things we're dealing with in our lives, with the word of God, it will begin to make a huge difference in every area where you're able to do this. Now, if we understand the story in Mark 11, Jesus had come walking with his disciples. They were going into a certain city where he saw a fig tree from afar off. He thought he'd be able to get some fruit off it because he was hungry. When he got there, there was no fruit. And so he cursed the tree and they went on in the journey. When they came back a few days later, the tree had withered and died. The disciples were amazed 
and he gave them this object lesson about the power of the words we speak. And so when he cursed the tree initially, they probably looked at him and thought, gee, Jesus just lost his temper and he, and he, and he spoke to this tree, but look, nothing happened. But when they came back several days later, the tree had withered and it had died because the words that we speak carry power. We know this is true because there's another example of this in Luke chapter 4. And you see, this is why we celebrate Resurrection Sunday. The reason our words carry power and the reason Jesus taught us this is because he knew the day would come where he would die on the cross, that he would give his life and he would be beaten and bruised for our transgressions and then he would be raised from the dead. And it's because of that resurrection that the power of God and the word of God carries the authority that it does. You see, in Luke 4, when Satan... uh, Drew uh, came against Jesus after the Holy Spirit had led him into the wilderness to be tempted. How you know Satan came against Jesus and tempted him in three different areas? But every time, how did Jesus respond? He responded with the Word of God by speaking the Word of God. And the reason he could speak the Word of God is because he had hidden the Word of God in his heart. He repeatedly quoted the verses that met the lie and the deception that the devil was presenting head on. And you see, if you read the end of that story, it says when he had completed the temptation, he came out of the wilderness and he went forth with power and with anointing, preaching the word and performing or demonstrating the kingdom of God. You see, when we endure temptation, when we go through situations and challenges and we use the word of God for victory, it brings us to a place where we grow in our faith and we begin to walk in a new level of power and demonstration of God in our lives. Now, we all have a tendency to try this for a while. We get inspired in a church service like today and we go out and for the next three days we do it every day. But when we don't see the immediate results, very often we stop speaking the word to our problems and we once again start speaking about our problems or about our feelings. And so we've got to realize the secret to success here is persistence. It's vital for you and I, if we're going to obtain victory in our lives, we need to continue to be diligent to add or to build the right things from the Word into our lives. By constantly speaking the Word of God, it becomes powerful and it will become effective in every area. It's absolutely necessary in overcoming any problem or negative situation in your life. Know what you believe and be determined to keep speaking the word to that mountain and you will see results. Now have a look with me at Second Peter chapter 1 and we'll, re- we'll read the rest of those verses where we just read about adding or building our lives in the word. In verse 8 it says this, For if these things are yours and abound or increase in your life, You will never be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? As we build our lives on the word, as we add these 
characteristics of the word and of the fruit of the word into our lives, it literally says this, it will cause us to never be barren or unfruitful in our lives. Look at verse 9. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, verse 10, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. Can I encourage us today? Let's keep building our lives on the word of God through the spirit of God. And then finally, we're going to look at our third word, which is the word restore. So we we covered renew on Good Friday. We've now looked at the word rebuild and then look at the word restore. Let's drop back into Joel chapter 2. And we'll read here from verses 23 as we bring this all together now under the subject of restore. In verse 23, it says, Be glad then, you children of Zion, which children of Zion, there is a reference to the church of Jesus Christ, and rejoice in the Lord your God. For he has given you the former rain faithfully, and he will cause the rain to come down for you, the former rain and the latter rain in the first month. The threshing, the threshing floors shall be full of wheat, and the vat shall overflow with new wine and oil. So I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the crawling locust, the consuming locust, and the chewing locust, my great army which I sent among you. Verse 26, you will eat in plenty and be satisfied. Remember we started with those three things which speak about Jesus, the word of God, the anointing of God, and what does it do? Those are the things that produce satisfaction in our lives. They leave us satisfied and fulfilled. And you know, when you're fulfilled, you walk in a place of contentment, you walk in a place of faith, and a place of power. It goes on in verse 26 and it says, And they will praise the name of the Lord your God, who has dealt wondrously with you, and my people will never be put to shame. Verse 27, Then you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel. I am the Lord your God, and there is no other, and my people will never be put to shame. You know, when, when the Bible mentions two things, or the same thing more than once, it's always a reminder, a confirmation, and an encouragement that it's something important that God wants you to grasp. And so we see through these portions of Scripture how God, uh, through the prophet Joel, is speaking about the Word. He's speaking about restoration. He's speaking about what you're building into your life. And then he speaks regularly about the satisfaction around your relationship with God and the fact that if you'll walk in that, you will never be put to shame. Isn't that such an encouragement for you and I in our lives? Now let's break down these verses uh, here for a few minutes. Firstly, verse 23, it speaks about rejoicing. And, and you see, what is rejoicing symbolic of? Listen, it actually speaks about the fact that God is restoring vision into our lives. He's bringing a fresh hope in our lives, which gives us the ability to see Him and to see what He wants to do before it's actually happening in our lives. And you see, think about this. When a person's got a vision or when a person has hope, you always notice that they're happy, they're rejoicing, and they're excited because it fills them with joy when they realize God is going to do something in their lives. And so this rejoicing to you and I speaks about the fresh vision 
that God wants to restore into our lives and into the life of the church. The church will then experience the rain. Now, the rain speaks about provision. You see, God gives the vision and then he gives provision for the vision. And so the rain here, the early and the latter rain speak about provision that nourishes and causes us to be in a place where we have the resources to do what God's called us to do. The, the early rain and the latter rain here also speak symbolically of a move of God's spirit, a, a revival or a renewal that will take place in the church that will begin to sweep the nations of the world and draw in Not just the lost, but the backslider and those who maybe haven't been fellowshipping with God because their lives were broken or they became dissatisfied or discouraged in their walk with God. And so we see this is the process of what we've just been speaking about, renewal and rebuilding, which starts to bring forth restoration. Then we drop down into verse 24, and we see a continued increase of the provision of God according to the anointing, which speaks about the supernatural, because it says in verse 24, the threshing floors will be full of wheat, and the vats will overflow with new wine and oil. And so we know that's symbolic of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and it speaks about, listen, the provision Or we could say like this, the increase of the anointing in the life of the believer and therefore in the life of the church, which will do what? What does the anointing do? The anointing is the supernatural ability or power of God to do difficult things with excellence. And so we're going to see in the days, the months, and the years to come, before Jesus returns, the church will begin to arise in its splendor. Listen, not by the things we have, but by who we are, because our focus is again in our passion for Jesus, as Jesus creates a revelation of who he is. And then it brings us to verse 25. You see, it says, because there'll be a restoration of what the enemy has stolen. And so there's this restoration that comes into the life of our believers and uh, of all our, of every believer as we serve God. And that, that restoration starts to manifest in the local church because God is restoring lives. In other words, it's a picture of whatever has been stolen, eaten, destroyed or broken will be repaid, rebuilt, returned and repaired. And you know, it's a beautiful picture that God is in this process in the journey of our lives to heal us everywhere we hurt. And listen, when you healed, you become a healing vessel towards someone else. We always remember this. God blesses you to be a blessing. So the Bible teaches us that it's because of Christ's obedience over this weekend that we can experience restoration, the healing of our wounds. Our broken hearts can be bound up and we can experience recovery. The Bible actually says he will give us beauty instead of ashes and he'll give us the oil of joy instead of mourning. We read that in Isaiah 61 verses 1 to 3 which speaks prophetically about the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we see this incredible picture. Most Christians believe and understand that they can receive spiritual healing or spiritual victory 
and eternal life when they're born again. Most believers agree that the promises of physical healing are real. But I want to encourage us today, God doesn't just promise spiritual victory and physical healing. He promises emotional healing and restoration in our lives. And I want you to know, I think during this time of COVID, that has become even more important. The truth is that our emotions are part of who we are. And often... They are more broken and actually lead to the physical sickness that we need recovery from. People are depressed. People, people are bound by oppression. And, and that's where, you know, where the gender-based violence is rooted. It's because people don't know who they are. And, and because they become angry, they don't know how to process their emotions. And I want you to know there is healing in the presence of God through the relationship that we can have with Jesus. The world today is full of people who are suffering from emotional pain. And very often the cause is abuse, rejection, abandonment, betrayal, disappointment, broken dreams, judgment, criticism, and the negative behavior of other people. This emotional pain can even be more devastating than physical pain. Because people feel that they have to hide it or pretend it isn't there. And I want to encourage us today as the church and as believers, if you have an emotional wound in your life, if you have emotional pain in your life, Jesus wants to heal you. Don't make the mistake of thinking that he's only interested in your spiritual life. Realize today, that he was wounded for your transgressions, he was bruised for your iniquities, and he can heal you everywhere you hurt. And it's a journey. It's a journey of growth, it's a journey of grace, and it's a journey of encouragement where we uplift each other until we get to where we need to be going. You see, and then he brings it all together in verses 26 and 27, where it speaks about this deep satisfaction and and this contentment that he's going to bring into our lives as a result of us experiencing his goodness in our lives. And that's what this weekend is all about. That's what the Resurrection Sunday is about. You can have hope. You can walk in contentment in your life because greater is He that is in you than He that is in this world. And so when you start to walk in that satisfaction and that deep sense of knowing that you're a son and a daughter of the Most High God and that there is nothing too difficult for God in your life. Even sometimes, you know, there's things in my life that I've had to adjust because I thought it would be this, but it was actually that. And even when you make that adjustment, it brings a fulfillment and a sense of completeness in your life that produces wholeness. And here's what happens is verse 27. Other people start to see the hand of God is in your life. The power of God is working in your life. And it becomes a living testimony of the glory and the goodness of God. And so it's so important today as we celebrate this resurrection that we have the opportunity to come to the table of the Lord and partake of his body and his blood. But listen, not just in a remembrance of him, but in a place of humility where we can receive our healing, our recovery. And today, you can be renewed, you can be rebuilt, and you 
can be restored. So let's pray together as we partake of the body. Father, we're so grateful for your love. We're so grateful for your work in our lives. And Father, as we partake of the body of Christ today, we thank you that this body was broken for us so that we could be healed and made whole, physically, spiritually, and even emotionally. We partake today of your body. Father, and this represents the blood of the new covenant, which speaks of a better covenant based on better promises, wherein which we have the forgiveness of sins, and we've been restored into a living relationship with you as your sons and daughters. We partake of that today, and we receive your healing, your restoration, and your strength. As I close today, I want to read Isaiah 61 verse 1 in the Amplified Classic. And it says this, The Spirit of the Lord, the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed and qualified me to preach the gospel of good tidings to the meek, the poor, and the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up and heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the physically and spiritual captives and the opening of the prison and the sorry and the opening of the prison and of the eyes to those who are bound and so today as we close this service if you've never made Jesus the lord of your life i would love to have the opportunity to lead you in the prayer of salvation if you just pray this prayer with me from Romans chapter 10 verses 8 to 10 and simply be sincere in your heart God will do a work in you, and you can be saved. Let's pray. Father, I believe today I am a sinner, and I need salvation. I know that Jesus died on the cross of Calvary, and that you raised him from the dead so that I could be saved. I believe in Jesus, and I accept Jesus into my heart today as my Lord and Savior, and I thank you for saving me. Now, if you prayed that prayer, would you send us a WhatsApp or an email? We'd love to hear from you. We'd, love you. we'd love to be able to connect you with the life of our church and take a walk with you as we become true Christ followers. God bless you. It's been such a privilege to be in your home. And don't forget this week you can join us on our online small groups through the WhatsApp format. Or if you want to know anything about the church, send us an email or go to our website at rfcfc.com. God bless you, we love you, and we're praying for you.